Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the latest live episode of The Free Marketeers. We're discussing a very non-contentious and easy topic today. We should get through this in about 10 minutes, so I hope that we don't take up too much of your Friday afternoons. Um, helping me to unpack the whole discussion and debate around vaccine mandates, specifically, and vaccine passports in the South African context, I'm joined by Daniel Ierloff and Martin van Staden. Daniel and Martin, thanks very much for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Chris. Nice to be here. So just yesterday um, in the US, President Biden announced that they will have a form of vaccine mandates now. This rule, rule will require that all private employers with upwards of 100 employees mandate weekly testing, as well as plans to require vaccines for most federal workers and contractors. Uh, Biden also said he would require employers to provide paid time off to get the vaccine, and he urged large entertainment venues to require proof of vaccination or testing to gain entry. As is often the case, South Africa seems to take it, its lead from the, the worst elements in the West and other parts of the world, of course. So I'm guessing that kind of thing is coming to South Africa. In Limpopo last week, we had um, Twane, sorry, in Twane, we had Twane Mayor Randall Williams saying that if he had his way, unvaccinated people won't be able to buy alcohol. He said Gauteng is unlikely to meet its targets due to low turnout at several vaccina vaccination centers in the province. And of course, President Ramaphosa has, has told his cabinet members to look at possible innovations which could assist the resumption of activities in South Africa, and this includes vaccine mandates. So it's the worldwide trend at the moment. It's coming probably to South Africa in some forms. Um, Daniel, I thought we'd start with you just on the constitution specifically, the South African constitution. Um, ca can the government implement a vaccine mandate? Is it you know, not that the language would say explicitly you may or may not, but what is there in the constitution that can provide uh, support one way or the other? It's it's uh, one of I'm going to give you the typical lawyer answer is it depends uh, and it's sort of a yes and no. Uh, but unfortunately, that that's the case here as well. Uh, I mean, there there's a variety of constitutional rights and constitutional provisions that that's at play that are at play here. Uh, I mean, your right to bodily integrity, freedom, security of the per, of your person, um, your human dignity. I'd argue is is even um, you know at at in at threat here. So I mean, you can you can rant off a list of constitutional rights that might be infringed if there's a if there's a vaccine mandate. I, I think we should perhaps sort of go back to to the basics of this entire thing and and just um, you know sort of remind ourselves what this pandemic is. What what's it? Truly, I mean, we're sitting with a, a, a virus. I've had the virus, Martin. You've had the virus, Chris. I don't know if you've had the virus, but you, you've dodged it so far. Um, I mean, but I mean, we we live with this 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 thing among us, and it has a bit more than a two percent mortality rate, right? So the question that we all really have to ask ourselves is. Are, are we perhaps not sort of overreacting? And I know this sounds strange, 18 months down the line into this pandemic, but I think any sane person should be asking this question. Uh, was it worth it, you know, completely collapsing our economy? 
uh, for the past 18 months? Is it worth it compelling people to take a, a, a drug that is arguably still, you know, not as tested as it should be? Now, I perhaps should just mention from the outset, my shoulder is still a little bit sore because I went for my first shot last week. So it's, it's in no way am I an anti-vaxxer in this case. Um, uh, in fact, my wife is is very pro vaccinations, and and so am I because I think it's a re I, I think it's a medical marvel that we've witnessed the last couple of months. But the fact that the vaccine is good, the fact that the vaccine helps against this virus, is not compelling enough reason to say, well, government or any other institution uh, should implement compulsory vaccinations. And and the reason I, I say any other institution is my suspicion is South Africa will follow a similar path of what we're seeing in the States at the moment. It's not a federal, uh, in, in the United States, it's not a federally mandated uh, vac vaccination. Um, they, they're doing it through the employers. And interestingly, in South Africa, we, we already actually have compulsory vaccinations for COVID. Uh, the, the, labor relation, uh, the labor regulations that were promulgated last year in July already require workplaces to um, vaccinate, uh, and there's sort of a list of criteria. Uh, but but they basically, the guidelines say you may compel your employees to be vaccinated, uh, and then there's sort of a list of exclusions if it's for, if they object because of religious reasons, if uh, they can work from home and it's therefore not necessary to work in the workplace. So, but I mean, the point is we're already in a position where it's compulsory through employers. And uh, we, again, this week we saw a big medical aides uh, telling their employees they're going to compel them to, to vaccinate by the beginning of this year. Um, and and again, I just look at all of this and, and I ask myself, is this really necessary? Uh, is it necessary to compel a young, healthy person who's already perhaps had COVID to vaccinate if they really don't want to? I mean, I don't care. I've had COVID. I'm healthy. I'm young. Um, but I still got the shot because I sort of weighed up the, you know, the pros and the cons, and I was just like, oh, I might as well go get it. But there might be other people. I, I don't think you need this compelling reason to say, well, because of my religion, I don't want to get the vaccine, or because of X, Y, and Z reason. It really is as simple as a person just saying no, and it ought to be fine. Uh, Martin, there's a lot to unpack from what Daniel said now. But one thing, uh, this is maybe more theoretical, but you've also touched on it before, I've noticed, and it's something I've wanted to highlight, is the pandemic has really concretized this idea of binding everyone's healthcare to everyone else's, and that states and governments should be responsible for, quote-unquote, taking care of the public health, which is mm. immeasurable, immeasurable, but they're supposed to take care of it. So, I mean, Daniel's point where, yes, my my friend or my my family member, my neighbor, they can choose to get the vaccine, I choose not to. But then you get the argument, if there is, aren't enough of us taking the vaccine, we don't reach herd immunity, for example, so it affects all of us. What do you think of that sort of, that line and that contention to the idea, to the point of, oh, well, it doesn't, my neighbor can can get it and I don't have to? Yeah. Uh, well, let, let me say first off, and it's, it's always uh, a bit of a... a annoyance you have to declare these things but COVID is a problem it's not mm -hmm. uh, I agree with Daniel that uh, there's probably been an overreaction but people would 
say take us saying that and say we are heartless people who uh, want people to just die in mass covid is is a huge problem i did not have a mild case of covid i had a terrible terrible case of covid and i would not wish that upon anyone i think it's a terrible disease uh, my family has lost several uh, friends uh, and so on uh, uh, it's 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 heart wrenching. It's terrible. Uh, it's it's one of the worst things that has happened in my life so far. Is COVID the pandemic? Not not the lockdowns. The lockdowns as well. But the the, the pandemic uh, is is very traumatic. Um, so it's terrible. But but there are worse things. There are simply worse things. And uh, the state uh, uh, imposing its will, whether it's a good idea uh, uh, with good intentions or bad intentions, in this type of way on a massive society on a massive scale is a worse thing than COVID because of the precedents, the precedents that it, it sets for the future for uh, any multiple other uh, number of other things that uh, society uh, might come across in the future uh, uh, for the extreme economic damage that it's done uh, specifically in South Africa. We don't have the economic health to really uh, jump back from this. The the people are now unemployed because of lockdown, will remain unemployed forever, probably, uh, if, if I'm being cynical, as I tend to be. <laughs> um, so uh, it's terrible, uh, but there are worse things. Now, what you mentioned there, uh, Chris, is uh, uh, essentially the argument from the harm principle. And increasingly, a lot of liberals, uh, libertarians, uh, people who uh, believe in freedom, who aren't statists, are also well, applying... That is a big tent, so that's what you get with a big tent. Yeah, it's not that big a tent. But anyway, uh, uh, a lot of people are applying the, the harm principle uh, for which John Stuart Mill is best known. Um, now, I think that uh, the harm principle is doing some heavy lifting there, that it uh, wasn't meant to be be doing, uh, at least when, when Mill wrote it. Now, I'm not a, a massive fan of John Stuart Mill, but I think if you were around today uh, and, and people were using the harm principle to justify probably the biggest, uh, 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 most coordinated state intervention in, 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 in something that's very intimate in, in personal lives and your medical affairs, I think he would be horrified. Uh, this isn't just a yellow fever certificate whereby if you want, if you are part of that very small group of, of people and you want to travel to a very specific list of countries, you need to be inculcated against yellow fever. It's not that. This is a initiative where the uh, if, if, if you ask the real movers behind this idea, they want all 7 billion of us around the world to be vaccinated, right down from babies who are just born up to people who are on their deathbeds waiting to, to die from old age. They want everyone vaccinated. That has never happened in our history. That is, uh, that is insane. It is insane to, to want such a coordinated, centrally planned initiative to be imposed on everyone. Uh, uh, perhaps accepting accepting the few people who have medical reasons not to be vaccinated, but it is it is probably the most coordinated deprivation of of human liberty uh, in in history. I mean, there have been worse uh, deprivations of liberty, but not nearly as coordinated and as widespread as as this. I would say. Uh, so uh, uh, there, there definitely are worse things, and I don't think the arm principle uh, can be used in this way. The arm principle is meant to be a liberal principle that essentially said that your right to swing your fist stops at my nose. You're not allowed to harm me. Uh, colloquially and on the ground, we intuitively know what this means. But now it's being taken to uh, cover a whole range of things that, that could never be within its ambit. To say that if you have 
uh, uh, COVID and you walk around and you infect someone, then somehow you have deprived those people of their rights. You have, uh, you, uh, in, in liberal theory, you have committed a crime. And if they die, you have committed murder. Uh, I mean, that is... Uh, that that cannot that cannot be. Uh, if you drive around a school uh, district in in South Africa, you could hit a child. It's there's probably a, a a percentage that you can assign to that. The chances of you hitting a child, and that does that mean that the government must prohibit driving per se uh, because there's a possibility that you could hit someone driving? Does that mean that everyone who has infected anyone else with the common cold uh, must be arrested for assault? Uh, because they've uh, they've uh, they sneezed near you and you had to spend two days in bed. Uh, sometimes when you get uh, attacked and punched, you have to spend two days in the hospital. It's the same principle. Why uh, why do we exempt those? But when it comes to COVID, uh, uh, we apply uh, this massive principle. And and of course you can say that COVID is is more deadly. You can say COVID is more uh, uh, more serious. But the fact is that you are not being harmed with intent. Uh, if someone decides, listen, this is my body, I am not going to get vaccinated. I have done the, the weighing up and, the, and everything. It's the same as deciding not to get a, get a flu shot. Uh, 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 you make that decision as a free individual. And then you happen to infect someone else. Should you be seen as a rights violator? I, I think no. I think that that approach could not is not uh, 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 harmonizable with an open and democratic society, with a free society. Uh, because if we accept that principle, then freedom itself is gone. It's dead. Um, so I'm very concerned about that argument, Chris, that uh, uh, rights are being violated. If, if you decide not to, to uh, uh, get the vaccine, uh, you make that decision a very, very trite liberty that everyone has, which our constitution uh, so clearly entrenches and so clearly recognizes. I mean, it's one of the most libertarian aspects of the constitution. It says uh, uh, nobody can, uh, uh, everyone has a right to uh, uh, freedom and security of the, no, it's, it's bodily integrity. It's it's article uh, section 12.2, uh, bodily integrity, including the right to make decisions about the control of their body, something along those lines. Very, very uh, uh, individual rights centric. And I mean, it's it's unequivocal. So, yeah, that's a problematic argument. I would encourage uh, liberals, libertarians, people who are inclined to freedom to to tread carefully, uh, because this is the same way we got to uh, a lot of other state interventions, which started at a li uh, kind of a liberal sentiment and developed into un unbridled tyranny. So I'd rather be very, very careful with that. Uh, again, COVID is terrible, but there are worse things. And uh, unleashing government like this is one of those worst things. Perhaps if I may just uh, sort of take what Martin was saying a bit further, I, I think there's a very, there's an arbitrariness to, to people arguing for these vaccine mandates, which I, I don't quite understand because I mean, again, we, we all acknowledge COVID is a problem. We all acknowledge that um, it, it's this public health issue that we need to deal with in, in some way. The, the question is just, 
to what extent can government compel any person to seek medical treatment? I mean, if, if, if we can say, well, it's in your interest not to be overweight, can government come and confiscate your food? I mean, surely not. We will say that's ridiculous. But now the question becomes, where do you draw that arbitrary line? Where does it, where, where is it acceptable for government to intervene in your health decision and, and where is it, where does it not? I mean, and, and in my view, it, it's, I mean, it's quite simple. We have quite clear you know, formulated lines where a medical practitioner can on your behalf make a decision because either you're unconscious, um, you know, you've just been in a traumatic incident, uh, accident, and then there's this decision is made on your behalf. But I mean, if you're completely, you know, awake, uh, uh, you know, completely aware of your surroundings, can government really come in and just on your behalf decide you need to get this this medical treatment? And I, I've I've struggled to find any person who can explain to me where that arbitrary line is. And then secondly, if you're able to explain to me why this line, well, where the line is, then I want a person to explain to me, well, why is it drawn there exactly? Why, why is the, you know, the, the one, in, uh, let's say the one circumstance to the left or to the right of that arbitrary line, um, why do you make that, uh, why do you distinguish exactly at that, that particular point? Yeah, and I think then you run into part of it is again the state having to take care of all our health care so for example if it's the state's job to make sure that hospitals aren't overwhelmed through COVID, then there's a precedent or a reason for them to try and regulate activity so that more people don't get COVID and healthcare resources don't get overwhelmed it's a very sort of centralist statist point of view of managing a country's quote-unquote resources whereas a country doesn't you know it's simply the people in the country who are managing those things it's not the country as it were as an entity but if i can just I add to that, ask, Chris, uh, yeah, uh, go ahead. just something that's that's not noticed a lot of people are saying that uh, to get away from lockdown we need to do this vax mandate uh, it's mm -hmm. it's like uh, it's the it's the le the less lesser uh, tyranny that that uh, government can impose on us to combat covid is we can get rid of lockdown if we all just uh, vaccinate but the problem here is that uh, and 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 it's unfortunate that people uh, don't necessarily notice this, but lockdown is the 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 initial deprivation of freedom by government. It's a self-reinforcing uh, argument. It's 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 it's, it's circular uh, uh, to say that uh, for government essentially. And and I know that uh, there is a lot of privatization of statism happening here. But when I talk about government, I see it in a very broad sense. Even when government is nudging uh, uh, companies to do so. Uh, uh, the government is using its own prior conduct to justify further deprivations of liberty. Uh, now, that's perverse. That's very, very perverse. And as, as constitutionalists, as freedom lovers, before we even discuss vaccination or vaccination mandates and passports, we need to insist immediately right now that every freedom we have been deprived since March of last year be returned to us unconditionally. Because that even, shouldn't even be up for discussion. We lockdown needs to end immediately, and uh, all that freedom needs to return. And then, only then, can we discuss vax mandates. We cannot allow government to say we'll give you your freedom back if you do this. That's extortion. That's blackmail. We that, that that's an unacceptable argument for them to be making. And 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 truly, I say this with all due respect to certain uh, liberal colleagues of ours. Uh, that's an, a totally unacceptable argument for a liberal to be making because it is it's really adding to the authoritarian status structure that, that we have to contend with every day. No, we want our freedom back unconditionally. And then, yes, let's discuss vaccination mandates then. 
Daniel, is there any material, material, legal difference between the state compelling citizens to get the vaccine versus their employer uh, in the constitution or in legal precedent or anything like that? Is there anything to to indicate anything differently? Is it better if I am unemployed, then there's less chance that the state will compel me instead of my employer, for example? No, I, I think it's it's easier for government to to get your employer to do it because, like you mentioned, it's it's more sensitive. You 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 want to keep your job, um, but but if we look strictly speaking at the Bill of Rights, it it it's not just a, 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 the vertical application between the state and and the individual. It also applies horizontally between individuals and the individual and in this case an employer. So they still have to adhere to to the constitution and to your constitutionally enshrined rights. Uh, the, the question will just become how those rights are interpreted because you could, uh, and as our courts have unfortunately previously done, interpret section 12 in such a manner, in a perverse manner, like Martin would say, um, to say, well, it's your, to, to protect your bodily integrity, you have to get the vaccination. Uh, and, and I mean, it's, it's just a ridiculous uh, um, uh, you know, def, uh, I'd say uh, argument and and um, a framing of of that particular right. Uh, but I'm just to to again, I, I I'm quite enjoying this conversation and and to latch on what to what Martin was saying is, I think the question we need to ask ourselves is what 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 coercion is is acceptable, right? Because in in you could ask yourself the question: Well, is it okay for your church to compel you? to get the vaccination or could your church say well you can't come to church or you can't come to your club or you can't come to this venue um but but it, it touches on the the what martin remarked earlier on the privatization of statism to to a certain extent because if if the moment the state sees well we can just use these you know normal societal institutions to achieve our goals in any case they'll do that they, they, then they'll just mandate it through another means, and I, so so it's it's a difficult discussion. Uh, you know, wh where are those lines drawn? Uh, you know, can a private you know uh, institutional business prohibit my entrance if I'm not vaccinated? My my gut feel says yes. I mean, by all means, they're able to, um, because and I think the flip side of that coin is you're going to get other institutions or other businesses who don't require that, who don't mandate that, and then they're going to get a bunch of people who take their business elsewhere. Uh, it might be that they, you know, become some sort of super spreader uh, business at the end of the day. But I mean, that the point is that's freedom. That's that's people's individual and personal choice, and they should be able to to make those choices. Martin, there's an important conceptual and I think practical just consideration here, or tell me if I'm wrong, but the private property argument. So the difference between saying uh, I, I, on my private property, I set the rules. And if you don't, you know, for example, have the vaccine, you can't come into my private property, my business versus I will infringe on your right to bodily integrity to allow you to come onto my private property. Yeah, the, 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 uh, as a libertarian, as someone who uh, uh, regards private property as probably the, the central determinating thing in most social issues, the, the determinating institution about which way a certain issue should be decided, this has been one of the most difficult uh, things for me to process. And I wish I had a, a good insight here. 
my my gut, and I think uh, my gut and Daniel's gut go in the same way here, is that owners of private property should have an unqualified right to make this decision. Uh, if you are, uh, uh, I almost said South African Airways, sorry. Uh, but if you are an, an actual private airline, uh, you might be able to say that, uh, uh, yeah, you can't fly with us. Uh, without being vaccinated, if you're a restaurant, you can uh, you own a restaurant. You can say you cannot come onto the property with without uh, showing your vaccination card. Now that is the very simple uh, uh, freedom 101 answer to give, and I feel very comfortable with that. But <laughs> uh, and this is what has made everything so difficult, and that is that the state has caught on to uh, nudging. Uh, nudging this idea that was developed by people, and they, they call it libertarian paternalism. Now, I object very strongly to the use of uh, the uh, the use of the word libertarianism there, but it's uh, from uh, two American authors. I can't remember the one, but the other one is Cass Sunstein, uh, who is a very prom uh, the most prominent American legal uh, mind, uh, probably. Uh, and this is this idea that government needs to stop coercing people, stop requiring whatever. But just nudge people, put an incentive here, uh, uh, persuade businesses there, uh, just nudge people in this direction that the central planners, our gods here on earth have decided that we need to move in. Uh, now that is, uh, that complicates things. Now I, I, for, I am not necessarily sure if we should accept a private business telling us we cannot go onto their private property as a result of the state nudging them to that conclusion. Now, the difficulty is how will you ever know? How will you really know if the state has nudged them into that direction or whether they came to that conclusion as a private property owner just uh, exercising their free choice? How can you ever know? Now, my, uh, uh, my gut tells me, and I guess this is not necessarily just a, a gut feeling, but a, a, an axiom, I guess, of, of libertarianism, of liberalism, is that when in doubt, are on the side of freedom. So my gut is going to say, Fine. Uh, if if you've been nudged, if you've been uh, 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 unduly influenced, let's say as a legal terms from South African law, uh, then then you can still make that decision and still prohibit people from coming onto your property with a vaccination uh, uh, certificate. But it's 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 still not easy. It's uh, I I think the state has really really outdone itself this time in perverting uh, uh, a social order. Um, it's it's created so much mistrust. You never know if the person excluding you is bona fide making their own decision or whether they're acting as an arm of the state. It's terribly difficult, and I wish I had a, a clear cut answer here, other than well, I I I am filled with doubt. I am filled with uncertainty, and as a result of that, we should just respect the wishes of the owner, even if it turns out that those wishes are in fact the wishes of our 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 family head, our daddy, Cyril Ramaphosa. I'm going to kick you off the show now, Martin, because I only get people on who actually give me clear-cut and easy answers. I don't, I don't want people to actually make me grapple with and think about these issues. So I'm going to kick you off the, the stream now. Daniel, on the point of, of vaccine passports, I mean, we all, you know, you need a passport to travel around the world. So the the practical i guess the sort of easy argument in favor of them is you already need a piece of paper to travel around the world so why not just link your vaccine to that i mean part of my worry very much about it more more practical than just moral is how it's going to discriminate against citizens from countries whose vaccine rollouts haven't been good 
and where there is a lot of vaccine hesitancy. So especially in Africa, where and Africans have throughout history suffered the brunt of discrimination, especially regarding travel. And now there's simply another reason added onto that list. So sorry, I know I've I've jumped now from the just the, the practical point about, oh, you could you just have a passport anyway to the discrimination point. But I just wanted to give you a bit of space to talk about vaccine passports specifically. Yeah, and, and it's an important question because it's undoubtedly coming. Um, and, and again, I, I think we need to go back to the basics and ask ourselves why. Because it, it's not a foreign concept. Martin referred to yellow fever shots earlier. I mean, it's already, you, you, there are already some, you know, forms of, of, let's say, criteria that in some countries they require you to com comply with before you're able to enter. Um, and, and I, th I think it, there's a reasonable case to be made to say, well, for COVID, it might be, but surely it can't just be, you know, broad sweeping for the entire world forever and ever, you know, can't ever take it back. Surely it has to be linked in some way to the prevalence of COVID in that country in, you know, the preceding couple of months. Is it is it even a problem or not? And you have to give some due consideration to factors, like you mentioned, of uh, countries where people haven't been broadly vaccinated. Again, it, it, if, if we look at a country like, like New Zealand, where, I mean, arguably people will in any case be, be um, uh, vaccinated, but they have r relatively low vac uh, COVID rates because they've locked down quite seriously. So why is it necessary to, to um, compel a New Zealander to be vaccinated before they visit the UK or Australia or, or the USA. So I, 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 again, and this is a, a, an administrative law principle. Now we're talking domestic law, not international. But you know, any decision you can't just make any decision and then say, well, because the decision is a decision, it stands. There, there has to be some sort of rational connection between the decision and what you're trying to achieve. And in South African law, even more importantly, in a constitutional framework, you have to look at less restrictive means. You have to make sure, well, was the decision, uh, could you have achieved what you wanted to achieve in other ways, in, in ways that don't infringe as grossly as, as they do here? Um, and I, I think the same principles apply to, to this question of, of vaccine passports. Um, it, it can't, we, we have to be nuanced. We have to uh, ask, you know, more pertinent questions. And it can't just be, oh, well, COVID's here, everyone get vaccinated and remember to get your booster shots until you're 90 years old. Don't worry, I'm sure for for anyone on Discovery, uh, they will get more vitality points the more booster shots they get. So that problem is problem is solved. Yeah, no, no, uh, we don't we have, have one comment here. Which anymore. I, sorry, we don't have exercise ahead. anymore, we can just get the shot. Uh, we have one comment here, Daniel, which means you and I need to jump off now. So you and I are communist chills. So you and I are done for the day. Um, I think this is important to highlight as well, this conversation around vaccine passports and mandates. Just here with um, with the World Economic Forum again and the new normal, uh, Klaus Schwab, for example. This has been, I think, discussed at various points, but we should keep on focusing on this point. I mean... How, how seriously one takes it or not, as Martin has pointed out, there's definitely a very coordinated sort of linked effort between governments. And for a lot of people involved in those governments, they might have the noblest of intentions. But as uh, C.S. Lewis pointed out, there might be no worse tyranny than that tyranny which is done for your own benefit, for the people's quote-unquote good. Martin, just a little bit on the Great Reset and the sort of build-back-better idea. I mean, and... 
you can even link this to things like sugar taxes, alcohol taxes, that kind of thing. Maybe all of these things. We've already got the sugar tax in South Africa, but how governments and central planners and social tinkerers want to make us healthier through these these plans and schemes that they have. Hmm. Yeah, look, there's a saying, and I, I don't uh, recall who said it, but uh, uh, no, no government will let any crisis go to waste. And, and that basically means that any tragedy, I mean, uh, a mass shooting uh, uh, pandemic like this, government will pounce on that uh, and use it to curb people's freedoms. Uh, I mean, that is, uh, we've just seen this repeatedly. Something terrible happens, a mass shooting in the United States. Everyone is sad about it, and rightly so. Everyone is outraged about it. And then the next day, you have uh, uh, restrictions on weapon ownership. Uh, Jacinda Arden from New Zealand, which Daniel mentioned earlier, uh, she is uh, the hero on the left for this. Uh, there was a mass shooting in, in Christchurch a few years ago. The next day, they banned, uh, uh, I believe, uh, semi-automatic rifles. Uh, she just banned it. It's done. It's over. No more semi-automatic rifles in New Zealand. Uh, uh, now, uh, now we see this here with COVID in epic proportions. Uh, the Great Reset, uh, uh, really, and you guys being communi communist sure should like this. I mean, it's it's really uh, uh, it's 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 a communist uh, 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 from from the World Economic Forum, the, uh, and, and apparently uh, uh, historically a, a neoliberal, uh, so-called neoliberal Washington consensus pro-free market institution. Uh, is essentially calling for this 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 great reset, and and a big part of that uh, uh, is this idea that the the, the uh, institution of private property should be whittled away. Uh, uh, I think uh, Traub was the guy who said uh, in the future that you will own nothing and you will be happy, um, and and that should be seen in light of many other things that are being done. Uh, uh, build back better, uh, the new normal in South Africa where. Uh, our ministers have now repeatedly said that we're going to use COVID and we're going to use the lockdown to speed up uh, black economic empowerment and transformation, uh, transformationism uh, uh, into the private sector. Uh, it's 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 an incredible, incredible perversion of the role that the state is supposed to play in our lives. Uh, it is uh, it, it is incredible. Um, uh, and 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 the the worst part of it is is really the, that that the West has become really the leader in it. Uh, you don't hear about the Nigerian uh, government or the uh, the government of Togo really leading the the charge in in uh, uh, how to innovatively take away their citizens' freedoms. We're seeing it from Australia. We're seeing it from New Zealand. We're seeing it from, from the UK. And there's a lot of confusion in, in the United States. But uh, the, 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 the free West is leading the charge against freedom. Uh, and the, the, the neoliberal institutions, the WEF, is leading the charge against freedom. And that is an, an incredibly big problem uh, for us as, as broadly liberals and, and, and free marketeers and so on. Uh, it's, it's, it's hugely problematic. Um, and, and as you say, this is something we cannot lose sight of. We cannot talk about uh, vaccine passports and lockdown and COVID in, in isolation. As people in the policy field, as people in the legal field, we have, a, I think, a unique responsibility to inform everyone who is concerned about these things that, listen, there is a larger thing happening here. It's not, a, it's not reptiles dressed in human clothing. Uh, it's, not, it's not the Jews. It's not uh, the Rothschilds. It's not, uh, it's not that. It's, it's a, a 
in fact, a decentralized statist sentiment all around the world that has now really come uh, come about and, and crystallized into this uh, uh, technocratic control of society, which we need to be very wary of. And 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 uh, the, the 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 most pertinent manifestation of that is this constant appeal to what the experts are saying. No, 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 screw the experts. We are free individuals. They have their expert opinions and we can weigh them up and we can decide for ourselves. We are not denying their expertise, but they are not experts in our lives. That is our decision. That, that is what makes a free society. And we need to inform people of the reality of this. You are a free individual uh, and uh, it's, it's up to you. Daniel, what... What recourse would people have? For example, if your employer or the state forces you to take the vaccine and you you get termin not terminally ill because then if you sue them, there's no point because you'll be dead. So what are the points of suing someone if you can't get the benefits from that? But if you suffer grievous bodily harm, something like that, what recourse do people have? Is there a sort of silver bullet that people can, can pursue? Is there, I mean, should they simply try and uh, speak to certain legal firms, organizations. What what do you think in that regard? Uh, perhaps to 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 answer your question with two points. The first is there are many organizations who will fight this. Um, one organization that I'm involved with, and and we actually consulted this week regarding this particular question is solidarity, and they're going to take a big case to drive through through our courts, from the High Court to the Supreme Court of Appeals to the Constitutional Court to challenge exactly this. And what's interesting about Solidarity's approach is they released about, I think, two months ago, an entire report where they basically argue in favor of vaccines. They say they think vaccines are safe um, and people, if they want to, should get the vaccine. Um, but but simultaneously, they're very much opposed to uh, compulsory vaccinations, which I think is sort of the gist of this this entire conversation as well. So there are organisations looking looking into this. We've our firm's been flooded with um, people inquiring about this, saying their employers uh, are you know compelling them to get vaccinated by a certain date. Uh, if I can perhaps answer how I think it it will play out, is it we're not going to have one particular case that's going to sort of settle the debate forever. Um, it, it, it's not going to be a matter of, oh, the Constitutional Court said compulsory vaccinations are fine or they're not fine, and then that's the end of the discussion. What will likely happen is we're going to have a litany of cases where the court determines, is it fine uh, in these particular circumstances? Can it be compelled in these circumstances or at this place or at this time or whatever? So we're going to have, we're going to basically have, I think in the next couple of years, we, the courts are going to settle, is it okay for a young person working at X, Y, and Z place or for an older person at whatever place in these and whatever circumstances? That's how it will play out. We, it's, we, we don't have a system of law where you have this one massive case and then it, it's sorted out forever and ever and i don't think this question is one of those questions it's it's not a, a, a you know a binary question and then then the debate is settled so that's how i sort of um believe it will will play out in the next couple of years 
but yes, if, if people want to reach out, contact your, firstly, if you have a labor union, contact your labor unions, because it's not just solidarity that's quite opposed to this. Interestingly, if we talk about the politics of the, uh, you know, the, the, the ANC and its uh, alliance partners, I think that's sort of a predicament they're going to face in the next couple of years. Um, but approach your labor unions, approach, uh, you know, your local attorneys, uh, you can approach us, approach the organizations you already support who fight for your freedom and liberty, because um, your particular fact sheet might just be the fact sheet that they need to go to court, uh, because that's what we're, we're doing with Solidarity now, is we're we're looking for, you know, just the right fact sheet so that we can go to court with it. Um, because the, the other issue is we're just being, uh, you know, overwhelmed with people contacting us and you have to sort of filter through all of them to to get one that that will likely succeed in the end of the day. Martin, probably the most important question, if uh, Section 25 of the Constitution is amended and private property no longer exists, surely the state can just do whatever it likes across the country? Yeah, no, that's exactly what the reality will be uh, if we uh, lose sight of that very important debate, uh, which is what COVID has done, uh, 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 quite interestingly enough. A lot of things were very interesting to a lot of people and very important to a lot of people in March of last year. And then at the end of March of last year, none of those things mattered anymore. And unfortunately, uh, the, the amendment to Section 25 of the Constitution is one of those things. It is still, in my view, a bigger threat to the prosperity of South Africans than lockdown and even vax mandates. To me, it's it's the it's the issue of our time. And uh, yeah, if the government succeeds in uh, adopting the uh, revised and or the second uh, revision of that bill into the constitution, and the government proceeds and declares uh, vast swathes of property to be under under state custodianship. Uh, then yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what's going to be the case. It's it's not going to be a matter of uh, yeah, it's on on a restaurant's private property. If restaurants or commercial or retail uh, is under the custodianship of the state, which it will be empowered to do, uh, then the state can simply say yeah, it's part of our mission to promote the public good on uh, property over which we have uh, uh, sway. And it, in fact, it would be unconstitutional for us not to require this safety measure. So yeah, if if we don't have a broader picture, uh, a lot of these things are going to be snuck in the back door. And uh, I would really encourage everyone to keep keep a very, very close eye on the Section 20, 25 thing. The media is making it seem like this isn't going anywhere and the ANC and the EFF are not going to vote together. That may be true and that would be great, but uh, keep an eye on it I, I don't think we should uh, celebrate before before the uh, that issue has really been resolved uh, Daniel I might be putting you on the spot a bit now but I wanted to ask a bit about South African case law and if there's anything that immediately jumps into your head like a highlight of where the public good public health the public interest was used as a case for more state intervention the state to dictate X or Y. I mean, we have the, for example, just off the top of my head, we have in general the Occupational Health and Safety Act. Obviously, it's very broad and has all sorts of other stuff. But is there anything in South African history? I mean, we often, we probably too often think of, oh, in America in 19, whatever, this thing happened in 1880 in the UK. I'm just wondering if there's any sort of case where this has happened in South Africa. I don't know that we've had these huge pandemics before. So, not in the sort of public health sense. Uh, I mean, uh, the public good and the broader public uh, um, 
you know, well-being has been used by our courts frequently. It's it's like my, my favorite communist writer is, is obviously um, Hayek, and, and he said that emergencies have always been used uh, as, I think it's, the quote says, it's always been used to protect, uh, oh, sorry, what emergencies have always been the pretext on which the safeguards of liberty have been washed away or something along those lines. Um, my favorite communist writer, by the way, for us communist shills. Um, but but so so the point is these type of emergencies have been used frequently in our courts um, and and it's it's not even it hasn't just been used for like pressing emergencies they talk about the housing emergency or uh, you know the, the the emergency that people are facing with the death penalty or whatever in some instances it's good you know in some instances it's really something dire like I would argue for with the death penalty um, where I think the courts rightly uh, said this is a problem and and they they stepped in but in other cases it's sort of this this empty promise so so what would happen is the court would say this is an issue and then they say okay but how do we resolve this issue and they say okay we need to say well it's a right and then suddenly they declare this thing a right and then they say okay cool now that it's a right can i get my house or can i get my dialysis treatment and then the court says oh no but sorry we don't have resources but it will be and this is the magic word that the court always uses progressively realized um and 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 then everyone's happy because then everyone says oh okay excellent you know the constitutional court agrees with us we have a right to dialysis treatment we have a right to a home but in the end of the day the people still don't have a home and they don't get proper medical treatment because we're just so fixated on ideology and not on actual tangible results that betters the lives of people that actually ensures people have homes that actually ensures people have access to healthcare. but we just look sort of and, and this it's a cliche but it is a sort of a virtue signaling of sorts to to just say okay but we've declared it a right problem addressed we don't really care if, if people actually get what, what we argue for. Uh, we just want to say we, we did something. Yeah, if, if I may just add uh, on to that about our courts. Um, the, the bigger issue for me is that the courts, when faced with something that is, and this is not, this is not an absolute rule, there have been exceptions, and the, the big one is uh, homosexual relations in South Africa and uh, death penalties, where the courts have really bravely and uh, very admirably, admirably, in my view, uh, taken the very pro-liberty uh, stance and done so on a principled level. But in other cases where it's it's not so clear-cut, and I think COVID, uh, some of the cases we've seen in the courts uh, during the early part of the lockdown, uh, COVID is not one of those cases. Uh, COVID is a complicated issue. It's a sensitive issue. And the courts are very, very uh, unsure about how to approach uh, uh, this. And I, I think that, uh, that that will probably apply to uh, health issues more broadly because it's so specialized and because the judges as individuals uh, and this is a very legal realist approach uh, that they are simply not sure what to make of it and they're they're afraid that if they set a, pre uh, a precedent a, a strong precedent uh, uh, they might kill everyone <laughs> so the, the courts are very concerned about stuff like that and then we saw this with the lockdown uh, one of the first cases was the, uh, the the beer case Liberty Fighters Network where judge Norman Davis uh, uh, of Pretoria uh, came out ve uh, very strongly, very, very strongly against lockdown uh, in general and, and really made sweeping. And in my view, it's very good. It's a very libertarian case. Uh, most lawyers would disagree with me and say it's nonsense. But uh, I think it was a very principled take about how the government has 
really not applied the constitution in the way that they should have. They have not considered section 36, uh, which is the principles that they need to apply to limit the constitutional rights of South Africa. The judge said, it's clear that in basically none of your regulations, you applied the standard. Therefore, all of your regulations, uh, with a few ex exceptions, are unconstitutional. And that was excellent. That was great. I thought, wow, this guy is my favorite judge. But quite predictably, uh, that was uh, reversed uh, uh, a few months ago by the Supreme Court of Appeal. Um, and uh, most other cases, the Asal case, uh, 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 where our former colleague Mpiaki Lamini was involved, um, and uh, there's another case, oh, the, the, the uh, TISA case, the uh, independent uh, tobacco guys. Uh, in both those cases, the, the courts really did this, uh, this very... Uh, I don't want to say nuanced because that implies it's a good thing, but this very uh, uncommitted approach whereby they uh, uh, essentially said, listen, this is a, an executive thing. There's a, there's an emergency in the country. Uh, the minister has consulted with her experts and her experts have said it's uh, she's made a good decision. And essentially the court isn't going to get involved there. Uh, applying a very uh, low standard of constitutional review for that reason. The court doesn't want to, they don't want the headline to say court judgment leads to the end of the world. Uh, that's not something the courts want. So that's what I'm concerned about is that our courts aren't nearly activist enough. Uh, legal act, uh, judicial activism can be a big problem. But in this case, it is, uh, I think we're seeing too little of it. Uh, the courts are not standing up as the, as the guardians of our constitutional rights. Uh, nearly as much as they should. Uh, it's it's actually quite surprising that the Constitutional Court has not heard a single lockdown case, to my knowledge. Uh, Daniel can correct me on that if I'm wrong, but I don't think they've heard a single lockdown case. Uh, that's a, that's amazing. It's it's insane, <laughs> actually, that we've had this massive deprivation of, of constitutional rights in this country, and the, the highest court has not heard a single case about it. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's how the courts have really uh, dealt with the issue so far. It's a very... Uh, cautious and overly cautious approach. And I think we're probably going to keep seeing that at least until COVID whittles out. And I think we're, we're, I, I'm, I'm kind of hopeful. I'm not, I'm not a medical expert. I may be totally wrong, but what I'm seeing kind of is that we're approaching the peak of COVID and that it's 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 going to start whittling away and things are slowly but surely going to go back to normal then the courts might be able to feel more comfortable taking a, a harder line um but at this stage uh, i don't uh, i i don't see our solution necessarily as being one fell swoop in the courts i see it as the as civil society as uh, citizens more broadly just drawing a line in the sand and saying listen uh, no we're not going to do this so cry me a river we're going to carry on as normal um, this one is for both of you, so, but Daniel should probably go first because Martin just finished speaking. But tomorrow marks 20 years since the 9-11 the attacks in 2001 on the Twin Towers. Um, over the past two, three weeks, the final planes um, have taken off from Kabul Air, um, Airport in Afghanistan, taking American troops um, out of the country. What remains is the Patriot Act. What remains is tapping of of American citizens and citizens all around the world. What remains is everything that Edward Snowden warned about and pointed out, Julian Assange as well, maybe to a lesser extent, but you know, he also exposed a lot of stuff. So I think that's an apt and good reminder and people shouldn't take it for granted that we're just going to have liberty forever. That's these, these emergency pretexts are used to expand government powers massively and governments don't let these go. 
Yeah, well, I mean, just just give me one example of where emergency powers have been granted to to a government and they've just willingly let it go. You can't. It never happens because the justifications just keep on coming in, uh, and 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 the problem is the threat never stops. Um, it's it's like Camus wrote as well that you know an emergency like this has has always been the the excuse for um, tyrants. And, and exactly the same is happening here. The, the, after COVID, there'll be the consequences of COVID. We're already seeing this sort of groundwork being done, right? Sort of Ramaphosa remarked earlier this year, we said uh, we, the build back better thing that you mentioned, Martin, is, 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 is the, the, it's this perpetual threat. It's this perpetual thing that we need to address. And that's why we need to be aware of of granting these powers to government because we're not going to be able to get them back it's it's that thing uh, it's another quote which is and i'm paraphrasing now but um it, it, you can vote in communists but you have to shoot your way out um and and it's exactly the same thing with this you can you can you know legally and legitly give government powers to try to solve this public health pandemic but you're not going to be able to democratically and legally take it away from government in the end of the day yeah, I mean, the the quote that immediately sprung to mind, my mind here is uh, Milton Friedman, who said, nothing is so permanent as a temporary government program. And I mean, that is, it's, you just see it everywhere. Uh, uh, all the measures that were taken to combat the Great Depression <laughs> in the 1930s, we, we're, we, we still have it today. It's all here. The, the passport, uh, uh, at least to the extent that it's used today, was instituted during the First World War uh, as, a, as, a, as a temporary measure to uh, uh, deal with uh, movements across borders during that crisis, that world-spanning uh, uh, tens of millions killing crisis. We still have passports today. Uh, and the Patriot Act, as you rightly said, amongst a host of other uh, uh, pieces of legislation in the United States, in Britain, and and wouldn't you believe it, in South Africa as well, during the same time we adopted security legislation and surveillance legislation as part of our uh, meager contribution to the war on terrorism. Uh, just because the war in Afghanistan and in Iraq is now supposedly over does not mean this is going away. Uh, these are permanent measures that are now part and parcel of our law. And we are going to see the same thing with COVID. I mean, that's that's just uh, this. This has been the most epic explosion in government power within a short space of time in history, uh, uh, as as far as I, I can see. And I don't see government taking uh, 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 giving any of that back. And a big reason for that is because the there was virtually no resistance to this, uh, with a few exceptions. There were resistance, but. It's it's not like society with one voice. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the work Daniel has done uh, with the organizations he's involved with stands out. Uh, and the FMF has, has resisted and uh, Sweden for a while, they resisted. Uh, and there is now protests all around the world resisting it. But we did not with sufficient unanimity as a civil society say, listen, no. We get it. You want to do a good thing. That's great. We're with you in spirit. That's great. But no, you're not going to take our freedom. We're, we're just not going to stand for it. We acknowledge this is a problem. We're going to deal with it. We're going to wash our hands voluntarily. We're going to social distance voluntarily. But you're not going to, you're not going to close our businesses. You're not going to prohibit us from buying pies or chicken and buy sandals and stuff. You're not going to do it. We didn't say that. We, 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 most people acquiesced to what government decided it was going to do. 
Uh, and that's that's been the case every single time. Uh, it's only when there is a massive, massive pushback uh, from from the, the people as a whole. And I'm no populist. I'm not going to uh, uh, start saying that we need to do things through majority action now. I don't think you need, you need a majority. I think you need a sufficiently large group of very vocal and dedicated people to uh, make a massive ruckus. We haven't had that. We still don't have that. Um, and if we want our freedom back, that's that's really going to be the only way to do it. And really, we shouldn't stop with COVID. Right? Let's get rid of the security legislation. Let's get rid of the uh, uh, the, the passport. Let's get rid of the great, the great Depression agencies that came about. I mean, let's let's take back our freedom and stop uh, allowing permanent programs out of temporary government action. Yeah, on that point of, of voluntarily changing one's behavior, this is pointed out by Ryan Bourne in his book, Economics in One Virus, which is a play on economics in one lesson by Henry Hazlitt. But he points to a lot of data from the U.S. specifically, which showed that people started changing their behavior long before states started imposing um, lockdowns and that kind of thing. So they, they started changing their behavior before the government tried to use force uh, in that regard. I've saved one of the easiest questions for last and i hate to give utilitarianism any airtime but we have to go there because it's it informs a lot of policy making and thinking in general um just the argument that for a lot of people it, it impacts their freedoms to live normally quote unquote when other people refuse to take the vaccines so someone might be carrying COVID, not that the vaccine will eliminate COVID, but there's a lower chance that you'll get infected, that you'll spread the virus if you have it. So if some people refuse to take it, it impacts on the freedoms of others who want to live normal lives. How do we balance balance that as it were? I should ask the, the person who's most associated with the law and the scales of justice in Daniel. Well, I mean, it's, it's, uh, thank you for leaving the easy questions to the end of the, the chat. Um, again, I, I think what's great about, well, at least my, the position I take with, with vaccines is the moment everyone uh, has the ability to get the vaccine and it's your choice whether or not to get it, um, then, then it's limited because, I mean, the point is the vaccine protects you. So if you've had it, I don't really care whether or not my neighbor got it yeah. or not because I'm I'm protected. And again, perhaps we should just mention this. Uh, the vaccine doesn't protect you from never getting or spreading the virus, right? It, it just lowers the mortality rates. And, and we see the, this in our hospitals. And I know some people believe, well, you know, COVID wasn't a problem. Our hospitals weren't overwhelmed. I can promise you I, I, I had video calls with my poor wife who was working in COVID wards during last year. And I saw firsthand, well, through her videos, what was going on in our public hospitals. And it was bad. Um, and what the vaccine does is it protects against that. It protects against a, a, a public health system, which shouldn't be there in the first place, but who, which millions of people rely on, which is really, really vulnerable. Um, so the, I believe the moment um, everyone has the ability and, and they're able to get the vaccine and they decide not to, it, the argument sort of stops there because um, it, it, then, then it's all down to whether or not you decided to get it really is as simple as that martin you can you can touch on that if you want but also then the other easy question that i wanted to say for you is but what about the children so let's say that you know giving your children vaccines when they're young obviously you know prevents them from getting seriously bad illnesses when as they grow up we've eliminated a lot of diseases over the last 
10 uh, over the last 100 years because of better vaccines and people taking them largely. So if parents don't sort of, you know, force their kids to take COVID vaccines, shouldn't the government take on that parental role? Not at all. And I'm going to answer that question with a bit of a more general answer, I guess. That's not going to be in reference to the children specifically. But uh, if I think if the COVID-19 response hadn't been so politicized, uh, like it has been from the start, a lot there wouldn't have been this this level of vaccine hesitancy i when i had to travel to africa i when they told me you need a yellow fever in Caucasian, i i wasn't like oh no i'm a sovereign citizen out there you never that's never gonna happen i don't i don't trust the pharmaceutical companies i didn't go there uh, because it wasn't it wasn't politicized there hasn't there wasn't a concerted campaign in my face to say that you are you're maliciously trying to kill people around you if you don't do what we tell you to do. Uh, uh, and my my freedom in general didn't hinge on it. My daily basic freedom to move around, see my family, didn't hinge on on that. So I think that in history, we've eliminated many of these diseases, uh, these viruses through voluntary vaccinations, through uh, herd immunity that really came about because people under they were they, they they were told there's a problem they were convinced there's a problem and they took the necessary action to to stop that problem that is not the case now the government and call it the global statist conspiracy if you want decided they were going to try something new and that something new was a massive campaign of fear uh, that was totally disproportionate to the actual harm of covid again covid is terrible it's not it's not a small thing but the what we've been hearing uh, in the beginning of the pandemic they dug a million graves in Gauteng. they said 400,000 south africans were going to die within the first wave uh, that is that is absolute fear-mongering uh, and and when that didn't prove true when and i mean this happens in medical science they're, not, they're sometimes wrong. Uh, but when that proved tr not to be true, and the government put so much emphasis on it being true, and us having to take certain actions to, 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 uh, to somehow stop that, people lost trust. I lost trust. There is, no, there is no way in hell that I am now going to play along with whatever the government is doing, because I am always going to assume, and a lot of people are always going to assume that there are strings attached here, that there are... Uh, that you're telling me, yes, let me just do this now, but then tomorrow I need to do something else because I've accepted the premise. The, the politicization of the pandemic and of the of the, the response to it has led to uh, the, the vaccine hesitancy. And, and it's not that great, actually. 73% uh, of South Africans are keen to get vaccinated. Uh, so it's it, the, major, the vast majority of South Africans are keen to get vaccinated. But I think a big proportion of those who are vaccine hesitant, and I'm not one of those. I, I think I'm, I'm going to get the vaccine probably within the next while. Uh, I think most of the vaccine hesitant, hesitant people would not have been had this been approached with prudence, with calmness, with a, a healthy respect for institutions and for for freedom. Uh, I think we wouldn't have had to even consider vaccine mandates. I think more, a far larger portion of people would have been getting it. Uh, and when it became necessary, uh, uh, which I don't think it is, uh, then uh, also for children as well. Uh, I, I, don't, I think the government has screwed this one up royally with its tactics. And therefore, now we're stuck in this uh, situation, as with so many other things which governments uh, screw up uh, royally. I can't really set you up on a better note on which to end. So maybe we should 
should end on that point. I think we've covered a lot of ground, both conceptual and theoretical and the practical. So for that, I have to thank both of you very much for your time on this Friday evening. Thank you very much for joining me. Thanks, Chris. It's always lovely, lovely joining you on the channel. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. And it wasn't uh, bad having you watching you as well. Yeah, uh, <laughs> your your presence uh, added added a little bit there, Daniel. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad, Daniel. As communists, we've managed to uh, have a civil discussion with a libertarian such as Martin, who just wants anarchy in the streets and that kind of thing. So uh, it just goes to show what people can achieve. To the viewers, thank you for your time this evening and for joining us. Um, if you're watching this before you leave, please rem remember to leave a like on the video and subscribe to our, ch to our channel if you haven't yet done so. If you're watching this afterwards, please, that applies to you as well. For more liberal um, analysis, policy commentary, please uh, go and follow both Martin and Daniel on Twitter. I will link to their profiles in the description below. Um, and please continue supporting the Free Market Foundation in any way that you can, which includes just watching our videos. We greatly appreciate any support that you can give us. Uh, until next time, have a good weekend, and we'll talk to you all again very soon. Bye-bye.